Section 2 of The Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 9, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mary Beatrice of Modena, Chapter 1, Part 2. The events of the next five years cast a blight over the rest of James's life. All his children died but the two daughters, who were subsequently to bring his gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. His wife, Anne Hyde, on her deathbed, declared herself a Roman Catholic, and he soon after withdrew himself from the communion of the Church of England. Nor could any representations of the impolicy of his conduct, or his royal brother's entreaties, induce him to appear again in the chapel royal. It is a remarkable but well-authenticated fact that about this time he became honorably attached to a lady who was a firm member of the Church of England, Susanna Armine, the widow of Sir Henry Bellasis, whom he was most anxious to marry, although she had not only resisted all his attempts to convert her to his new creed, but was even supposed to have shaken some of his recently imbibed opinions by the force of her arguments. Lady Bellasis was by no means beautiful. Her great charm consisted in her fine understanding and captivating manners. James, who was aware that his attentions might be misconstrued by the world, gave her a written promise of marriage, lest her reputation should suffer from the frequency of his visits. Few alliances, however, could have been less suitable for the heir of the realm than this, for she was the mother of the heir of a Catholic house, and her late husband had been killed in a duel while in a state of inebriation. When the king heard of his brother's romantic attachment to this lady, he was extremely provoked, and after expostulating roughly with him on the subject, told him, It was intolerable that he should think of playing the fool again at his age. In allusion to his impolitic marriage with Anne Hyde, James, like a true lover, thought no sacrifice too great to make to the woman whom he esteemed for her virtues, and adored for her mental endowments, rather than for her external graces, and would not give her up. Lady Bellasis proved herself worthy of the attachment she had inspired, for when she found that the interests of the Duke of York were likely to suffer on account of his engagement with her, she voluntarily resigned him, conditioning only that she might be permitted to retain a copy of his solemn promise of marriage properly attested. This she owed to her reputation, having no mind to be classed with Arabella Churchill or any other court mistress. King Charles, perceiving that his brother's desire of domestic happiness would lead him into a second marriage, incompatible with his position as the heir of the crown, engaged him in a matrimonial treaty with the Archduchess of Innsbruck, although as a Catholic princess, the idea of such an alliance for the Duke of York was highly unpopular. Immediately after James's second victory over the Dutch fleets at Sol Bay, and while the Royal Admiral was yet on the sea, came the news from Sir Bernard Gascoigne, the British ambassador at Vienna, that the treaty of marriage with the Archduchess of Innsbruck was concluded, and nothing more was required than for His Royal Highness to send an ambassador extraordinary to marry her as his proxy and bring her home. James made choice of his faithful friend and servant, Henry Mordaunt, Earl of Peterborough. That gallant old cavalier has left a copious and very amusing account of his proceedings and the difficulties and perplexities with which he found himself beset in the execution of his delicate commission of obtaining a second consort for his royal friend, the heir presumptive of the realm. 
the earl of peterborough did at that time attend the duke in his own ship and he had been with him the whole expedition and was particularly participant in all the honors and hazards of that bloody battle of soul bay wherein the noble earl of sandwich lost his life and so many brave gentlemen of either party and from this fleet it was he commanded the earl of peterborough to repair to the king and entreat his orders to the ministers for preparing monies instructions and instruments that might enable him to proceed on his journey in order to bring home the princess so many intrigues however crossed the appointment at home that it was not till march sixteen seventy three that the earl of peterborough was allowed to embark with his suite on this errand he was entrusted with jewels from his royal highness's cabinet to the value of twenty thousand pounds intended as a present for the princess these jewels were worn by a different bride from her for whom they were destined by the sailor prince when he selected them the empress of germany had fallen sick in the meantime and even before she breathed her last the emperor leopold i determined to marry the affianced consort of the duke of york and she decided on accepting him sir bernard gascoigne succeeded in discovering this arrangement in time to prevent the further mortification of the arrival of the duke's proxy at vienna the faithless archduchess had intimated by way of consoling james that the emperor had an unmarried sister whom he might perhaps be induced to bestow in marriage on his royal highness james took no notice of this hint but wrote to his friend the earl of peterborough to choose a wife for him from four other princesses who had been proposed to him and that it was impossible for him to see or become acquainted with either of these ladies himself he entreated his lordship to use his utmost diligence to obtain a sight of them or at least of their pictures with a full and impartial account of their manners and dispositions the first on the list was the duchess of guise a widow and cousin german to the duke of york being the youngest daughter of his maternal uncle gaston duke of orleans by his second marriage she was most particularly favored and recommended by the court of france the next was the subject of the present biography the young princess of modena only sister of the duke of that country it is said by charles the second's historiographer gregorio letti that this princess was first mentioned by the queen catherine of braganza as a suitable consort for her brother-in-law the duke of york but other writers of the same period declare that she was proposed by louis the fourteenth as his adopted daughter the extreme admiration of both charles and james for the person of her beautiful cousin hortense mancini whom she greatly resembled might have had some influence in directing attention to her the third lady on james's list the earl of peterborough calls mademoiselle de ray probably some very great heiress for her name is neither allied with royal nor historical associations the fourth was the princess mary anne of wurtenburg all this being perfectly new to the public demands a few additional pages descriptive of the royal claims of the quartet for certainly since the sultan-like requisitions of henry the eighth to francis i and his ambassadors for a princess worthy of the honor of becoming his fourth consort no chapter of royal wife-hunting has been half so rich no chance was there of the shrewd old cavalier whom the duke of york had entrusted with the disposal of the future happiness or misery of his life making a blunder in the choice of the lady so excellent a judge was he of beauty and so deeply impressed with the importance of the commission he had undertaken 
this was a great trust says he to the performance whereof were requisite both honour and discretion the first to render unconsidered all the advantages which might be proposed to bias the person trusted against the interests and satisfaction of his master and the latter to find out and judge what might be most expedient and agreeable to his true humour and circumstances of the ladies named by the duke of york the first and the last namely the duchess of guise and the wurtemberg princess both presided at paris the duchess of guise at her own house the princess at a convent in paris where she was a boarder the duchess of guise the earl saw at court but was convinced that the duke could have no inclination for her for she was low and ill-shaped and though she had much reputation for innocence and virtue her constitution was too feeble for there to be much probability of her bringing the duke heirs which he knew to be the chief object of his wishing to enter into a second marriage all the favour of france therefore which the earl might have won by permitting this alliance would not tempt him to recommend anything that appeared contrary to the trust which the duke had reposed in him the princess of modena the earl could not see as she was in her own country but by means of mr Kahn, a scotch gentleman he was introduced into the conti palace where he saw her picture which had been recently painted in italy and sent thither the princess de conti being nearly related to her the sight of this portrait seems to have almost turned the head of our discreet envoy and must be described in his own eloquent words it bore the appearance of a young creature about fourteen years of age but such a light of beauty such characters of ingenuity and goodness as it surprised the earl and fixed upon his fancy that he had found his mistress and the fortune of england an ill picture which his excellency goes on to say he saw of mademoiselle de ray the third lady in the duke of york's catalogue was not of course calculated to efface the impression which had been made on his imagination by this living representation of the fair young flower of este in fact it placed the lady at such discount that he did not consider it worth his while to make any further inquiries about her his whole thoughts were turned upon the princess of modena and in order to gain some information touching her character he employed his friend mr Kahn, to arrange such a meeting and introduction as might appear accidental with the abbe riccini a person who was employed in negotiating the interests of the house of este in paris this interview took place in the cloisters of the great chapter house in paris after the usual compliments had been passed the three diplomatists led the discourse from the indifferent topics with which they began their conversation to the affairs of england the duke of york being a widower and the necessity of his marrying again then they discussed the various princesses that the world judged proper for so illustrious a match and the earl took occasion to inquire what children there were in the house of este only two replied riccini a son who is the reigning duke as yet a minor and a daughter of about fourteen years of age after enlarging on the many excellences of this princess pursues the earl he endeavoured to render them useless to us by saying that the duchess her mother but more strongly her own inclinations did design her for a religious life and that she seemed resolved not to marry this information which the trusty envoy was reluctantly compelled to convey to the duke at the same time that he informed him of her great beauty and the high character which 
from all quarters he had received of the young princess appeared for the present to put all hopes of obtaining her out of the question then the duke directed him to obtain access to the princess marianne of wurtemberg who was the daughter of the brother of the reigning duke her father had been slain in the wars and her mother having retired into flanders she remained under the protection of the crown of france in a convent in paris in company with several ladies of quality in consequence of the great services her late father had performed for france it was supposed that next to the duchess of guise and the young princess of modena she stood the best chance of being recommended by that court as a consort for the duke of york through the good offices of father gilbert talbot an english ecclesiastic of high rank and an acquaintance of her confessor the earl of peterborough obtained an introduction to this lady who was persuaded to receive a visit from him at the grate of a parlor according to the usual etiquette of convents notwithstanding the vivid impression which the pictured charms of the young lovely d'este had made on the old cavalier he gives a highly favorable report of the princess marianne of wurtemberg she was he says of middle stature fair complexion with brown hair the figure of her face turned very agreeably her eyes gray her looks grave but sweet and in her person she had the motions of a person of quality and well-bred but above all she had the appearance of a maid in the bloom of youth and of a healthful constitution likely to bring strong children such as might live and prosper although there was much modesty in her behavior yet she was not scarce of her discourse and spoke well and pertinently to everything in short our prudent ambassador believing that excepting the princess of modena he had neither seen nor heard of anything more suitable for the personal object of his mission than this lady began to inquire what fortune might be expected with her but although some persons inclined for her did give out that one way or other fifty or threescore thousand pounds might be expected he could not find any reasonable ground on which to build such an assurance wisely considering however that money ought not to be regarded as a matter of the slightest importance in a marriage where so much depended on the qualifications of the lady he made such representations to the duke that his royal highness being well satisfied with the reports that he had heard from other quarters of this princess charged him to proceed in his visits to her even to give hopes to her friends that he might soon be authorized to demand her in marriage the earl obeyed and found every day fresh contentments in the conversation of the princess but all of a sudden a change of purpose took place in the matrimonial views of the duke of york or rather in the policy of king charles and his cabinet for orders came to the earl by express directing him to leave paris privately with as little company as possible and proceed incognito to dusseldorf the court of the duke of newburgh and there try to get a sight of the princess his daughter who had been earnestly recommended to the duke as a princess the fittest of any for his alliance the duke of york took the precaution of privately charging his friend to give him a faithful character of this new candidate for his hand in all particulars telling him that if he did not feel satisfied that she was in person mind and manners calculated to make him happy he should have immediate orders to return and bring home the princess of wurtemberg the earl who was nothing but duty and faithfulness to the duke obeyed his new orders with all diligence he took post 
accompanied only by signor verasani his gentleman of the horse and one that served him in his chamber and arrived in three days at metz where he came by water to cologne there when he was walking about in the street he was recognized by sir john williamson one of the english resident ministers who greatly offended his secretiveness by alighting from his coach and complimenting him in the street of which unseasonable respect his lordship delivered himself by desiring that he would forbear it any further and though he privately visited both him and his colleague sir lionel jenkins he did not communicate his business to them business of which they were doubtless to the full as well aware as himself at the inn our cautious envoy whose proceedings were too amusing to omit told the host he wanted to see the city and court of dusseldorf and got him to provide him with a guide well acquainted with the place embarked with his companion verasani and two servants one morning in an ordinary boat on the rhine and in due time arrived at the gates of dusseldorf there being examined and giving out that they were strangers brought by curiosity to see the place they were admitted and conducted by a soldier to an inn they next sent their guide to inquire the method of approaching the palace and the prince and were informed that there would be a greater opportunity that day than usual for the prince and court were to be present at an anniversary contest among the citizens and other persons of that place which could soonest shoot down the papagee or parrot a thing made in similitude of such a bird with a very high pole which was to be performed with much ceremony and the victor to receive the reward of his address but before the commencement of the spectacle the prince was to be entertained with very rare music at afternoon service in the jesuits church at which also the duchess and the princess were to be present and the guide added that he could conduct him to a station proper for obtaining a view of them this was readily accepted by his lordship who with his companion was placed in a fair passage of the cloister through which the prince and his court were to pass after some expectation the duke arrived preceded by the state and ceremony befitting his rank he led his consort by the hand the princess followed and a considerable train of ladies and gentlemen well dressed and in goodly order but the princess was not well to be discerned by reason of the hoods that were over her face passing after into the body of the church the earl had a farther view into the gallery above where the duke sat to hear the service the office and music being ended the court retired in the same order as it entered and all went to see the shooting except the earl who did not desire to appear publicly abroad meantime the guide having acquainted some under-officer of the court that two gentlemen belonging to the train of the english ambassador at cologne were come to see that town and were desirous to have a sight of the court and to do reverence to the duke was told that he might bring them under his conduct they proceeded to the palace where they were met by a gentleman of the inner court who led them up into a large room where after some attendance they were led into another where the prince came to them mysterious as the earl of peterborough thought himself there can be little doubt but that his business was shrewdly suspected in that court otherwise he would scarcely have obtained access to the sovereign's presence without letters passport or in fact the slightest warrant of his respectability 
the duke of newburgh received his lordship's compliments with much courtesy and of himself began to ask questions about the journey the english ambassadors and the proceedings of the treaty of cologne and afterwards insensibly turned the conversation on the court of england and the royal family he inquired about the duke of york and his marriage and asked where was monsieur de peterborough and if he continued at paris after the treaty of innsbruck discreet answers having been returned by lord peterborough to all of these inquiries the duke went on to say that he heard the duke of york was like to be married to an english lady to which the earl replied that he had heard of no such thing at last he took his leave with much civility after his departure peterborough and his friend asked the gentlemen by whom they had been presented to the duke if they might not have the further favor of seeing the duchess and the young princess he said he would inquire and left them and after some stay returned to let them know they would be admitted he then ushered them into an upper room where they found the duchess of newburgh and the princess her eldest daughter in evident expectation of their visit the earl made his compliments with the greatest possible respect to which her highness in her own tongue made all suitable returns but said that not being versed in the french language she desired her daughter the princess might interpret between them on which the princess nothing loath as it should appear approached and helped to carry on the conversation with intention as he thought of showing her capacity of that language they all by that time as he had reason afterwards to believe suspecting him to be some other person and having more design in this little voyage than was pretended from this hint it should appear that the naval envoy of the duke of york was mistaken for the royal admiral himself going about the world in disguise to choose a second consort for himself the romantic circumstances attending his first marriage and secondly his disinterested attachment to lady Bellasis, indicating that he was not likely to enter into a cold state alliance with a stranger james acted much more wisely however in trusting to the good taste and sound sense of his trusty friend than if he had relied on his own judgment since no man was more easy to deceive than himself the princess of newburgh was supposed to be about eighteen years of age of middle stature she had very light hair and was of an exceedingly fair complexion her eyes were of a light bluish gray the turn of her face more round than oval that part of her neck which his lordship could see was white as snow but on the whole she was inclined to be fat in discourse she interpreted readily her mother's sense to him and spake her own aptly enough but there did not appear that great genius for business and conversation for which observes our noble author she has been praised since she was called to sit on the greatest throne in europe the earl of peterborough took his leave of the duchess and her daughter with all the respect due to ladies of their quality at his departure he found himself attended much more by gentlemen and with greater respect than at his arrival and he was pressed to stay supper by the chief officers of the house even to a degree of importunity the punctilious caution with which his lordship avoided committing himself by accepting the slightest hospitality from the duke of newburgh proves that he did not consider the fat fair frulein his daughter by any means worthy of the preferment of becoming duchess of york after he had with some trouble backed out of all the civilities that were pressed upon him and withdrew to his inn where he made an ill supper 
there came to call upon him under pretense of a visit from a countryman a young gentleman one hamilton who wore a gold key by his side and was said to be of the duke's bedchamber and much in his favour this mr hamilton seemed every way to try what he could get out of the earl and by his discourse his lordship perceived that he had puzzled the court and that his declining to receive further attentions made them suspect that he was dissatisfied the earl finding himself rather in a dilemma was impatient to be gone and having a wagon ready the usual mode of travelling in that country then he made a precipitate retreat the next morning to cologne whence he wrote by express to england an account of his visit to the court of dusseldorf in answer he received immediate orders to return to paris where he was assured he should meet directions to marry and bring home the princess marianne of Württemberg. the earl obeyed with much satisfaction esteeming this next to the modenese alliance the most suitable of any that had been proposed so with all the haste he could and not doubting of the performance of what he had been assured he returned to paris and alighting at the monastery where the princess marianne lived he acquainted her with the news of the preferment which he had every reason to believe awaited her the princess had not the self-command enough to conceal her joy on this occasion and pursues his excellency she was not to be blamed considering the provision it would have been for an orphan maid to marry a prince so great both in the circumstances of fortune and merit the result should have been a warning to all diplomatists engaged in the delicate and responsible business of royal marriages not to advance a single step beyond the precise warrantry of their instructions brief as had been the interval between the letters the earl had received at cologne and his arrival at paris a total change of purpose had taken place in the secret councils of the british court and the luckless envoy found that he had committed an irretrievable blunder by his communication to the princess for the orders that awaited him at his own house were not to marry and bring her home as the consort of the duke of york but to break off all negotiations for her hand his consternation and vexation may be imagined especially as this sudden and provoking caprice proceeded not from any fickleness on the part of the duke of york but from the impertinent interference of that restless intrigant the duchess of portsmouth whose insolence led her to aspire at nothing less than marrying the heir presumptive of the british crown to a bride of her selecting the lady whom she had chosen for him was the daughter of the duke de Bouf, a cadet prince of the house of lorraine her mother was the sister of mariscal turenne a connection to which his royal highness would have had no objection because of his affection to his old commander had the lady been of a suitable age but when the earl of peterborough came to see her after king charles had consented to the marriage he found that she was a little girl under thirteen and so childish for that age that he would not for a moment encourage the idea of bringing home a bride of her fashion for his royal friend the duchess of portsmouth however who thought to carry her point in time if she could only succeed in breaking off the promising negotiation with mary anne of Württemberg, continued by means of her emissaries so to disparage that princess that the duke was induced to give her up much ado was there to pacify the poor princess on so great a disappointment especially as there were those to whom she seemed a rival who forbore not to rejoice if not to insult her on this change of fortune as for the earl of peterborough he frankly confessed that he durst not see her again 
in fact after having committed himself by his premature communication he felt to the full as deeply mortified as herself an effort had been made by the british resident at paris by sending an express to meet him on the road with news of this change to prevent the earl of peterborough from committing himself by complimenting the princess of Württemberg on this imaginary preferment that his first letters had given him reason to believe awaited her but the messenger having taken a different route missed him mortified and annoyed as the earl was with the capricious conduct of his own court he was in a manner consoled when he found that he was required by his majesty to proceed with all speed to modena to demand according to the proper forms the original of that beautiful portrait which had never ceased to haunt his imagination since he first got a stealthy view of it in the conti palace it is a little amusing that king charles in his instructions to our right trusty and right well beloved cousin henry earl of peterborough our ambassador extraordinary at the court of modena commences with noticing the failure of the occasion on which he had been appointed ambassador extraordinary at the court of vienna namely for effecting a marriage between our most dear brother james duke of york and the young archduchess of innsbruck but passes over in silence the other five ladies namely the duchess of guise mademoiselles ray and delboeuf and the princesses of newburg and Württemberg, whose conjugal qualifications his excellency had subsequently been employed to report for his royal highness's consideration and proceeds with laudable brevity to the object of his present mission in these words our said dear brother desiring us much to consent to his marriage with the young princess of modena mary d'este sister to the present duke of modena we have thought fit hereby to enjoin and direct you to make what convenient speed you possibly can to the court of the said prince and introducing yourself there by your letters of credence which we herewith send you to the audience of the duchess regent after the performance of such compliments to her on our part as will best occur to you on the subject open unto her our brother's earnest desire to espouse the young princess her daughter etc etc the polite hint on the subject of the young lady's portion is delicately introduced in his majesty's statement that our said dearest brother seems to be willing to settle a jointure of fifteen thousand pounds per annum sterling money of england and even to enlarge himself farther therein if the value of her portion hitherto not certainly known to us shall require a better the time for the payment of the portion and all arrangements connected with it are in this document referred to the friendly arbitration of the king of france louis the fourteenth these capitulations being thus finished proceeds his majesty you shall proceed to espouse the princess in your brother's name according to the deputation and proxy he will send you to that effect and when that ceremony is over adjust with the duchess regent or her ministers the manner of bringing the young princess hither which we suspect for the avoiding of many troublesome and chargeable ceremonies she will choose to be incognita a very adroit method this of intimating to the princess the plan it was intended she should adopt in her bridal progress a prudential clause follows requiring that the expenses of the bride's journey as far as paris or calais should be defrayed by her own court the document concludes with this observation 
now although it be unusual to send extraordinary ambassadors to a single prince of italy of that sphere yet we have condescended to do it to honour our most dear brother's choice of this princess for his wife but that on the other side our own dignity may not suffer thereby you should be careful to stipulate and adjust the manner of your appearance there to the full extent of such ceremonies as have been given to the ambassadors of france and spain who have ever appeared there these instructions signed by king charles and countersigned by the earl of arlington are dated july thirty first sixteen seventy three the same express brought a similar document only somewhat amplified from the duke of york directing the earl of peterborough after delivering the king's credential letters and his own to the duke and duchess regent of modena to profess to them his earnest desire of marrying the young princess and the great affection he had conceived for her person and virtues repeating what has been mentioned in the king's letter touching her portion and the jointure of fifteen thousand pounds that he was willing to settle on her in case she should survive him and his willingness to augment it in proportion to the amount of her portion when you shall have contracted the princess in my name continues the duke you are to present to her as a token of my esteem such part of my jewels in your custody as you shall judge convenient and the morning of the day of the performing the solemnity of marriage you shall present her with the remainder of my said jewels as a further pledge of my affections and of my satisfaction of what you have done for me the expediency of the princess travelling incognita is also repeated by the duke and he especially recommends his trusty proxy to adopt the same plan for himself on his way to modena taking with him only such servants as were absolutely necessary two days after the date of this instrument james announced his intended nuptials in the following laconic seaman-like epistle to his cousin prince rupert who had succeeded him in the command of the british fleet st james's august third sixteen seventy three i have received yours by dowsett and by the account he gave of what passed when you were near the Schoenbelt. see plainly de Ruter will hardly come out to fight you i have also seen yours by lord arlington from whom you will receive his majesty's pleasure so that there remains nothing more for me to say but that now my marriage is agreed on with the young princess of modena and to wish you fair weather and good success if you undertake anything james for our dear cousin prince rupert like most men who find themselves in a position to choose a wife from among the fairest the noblest and the wealthiest ladies on earth james who had hitherto been embarrassed with the agreeable perplexity of selecting for his consort her who should be esteemed the most unexceptionable of all the princesses who had been offered to his consideration fancied that after he had once made up his mind on that point no further difficulty could be apprehended at least not on the part of the lady to whom the prospect of sharing the crown of great britain was offered with his hand his plenipotentiary very soon had occasion to undeceive him in this notion the wooing of mary beatrice of modena which these pages for the first time unfold to the world is indeed a curious chapter in the personal history of royalty demonstrating that princesses ay and very youthful ones occasionally endeavour to exert a will of their own and that ladies sometimes prefer a maiden life of tranquil happiness to the cares and trials of the conjugal state even when it offers the glittering prospect of a crown
End of section two.